This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. Do you love Jesus today? Yeah, it's good to see faces that we haven't seen for a bit. It's good to see you out there. When I came in this morning, I was like going, where is the church? And you're here. I'm glad that you're here. Um, today, we do want to honor moms. I'm going I'm to do something because I like to embarrass people. But would every woman, every girl in the building stand? Whether you're a mom or not, just every girl, just every female stand to your feet this morning. Would you give them a round of applause? Come on. Let's tell them thank you. Tell them thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. You may be seated. Today we celebrate moms, but we celebrate all women. We thank you for who you are. Today you may be a mom by, by, by having children. Today you may be a mom by adopting. Today you may be a mom by mentoring. Today you may just be a woman that has... Excuse me, I'm all choked up here. Uh, uh, that, that, uh, that, that big gulp of air or whatever it is. That you just you may be desiring to have children or someday you'll have children. But I want you to know that we believe in women. We believe in women in ministry. We believe in you. And thank you for all the roles that you fulfill. You say, well, I don't really have a lot of influence. You do have a lot of influence. Just by being a godly person, a godly woman, you are influencing our, crea- our culture. And so we thank you for that. And we just want to uh, make sure you get a picture by our, our photo booth out there because we uh, want to celebrate you. I want to also draw your attention. You saw it on our announcements, but Outflow, our big outreach, the church has left the building outreach uh, that happens annually, uh, is right around the corner, June 4th, and we need you to sign up. It went live last week, and we need you to get in there and make sure you get your name on one of the projects. We're going to have a lot of fun. I think, what do we have, 14, 13? 13? 13, 13 events, or not events, well, they are events, uh, but, but we get to go out, you go, well, wh- what happens? We dismiss church on Sunday, uh, that Sunday, June 4th, and the sermon happens in the streets with your serving. The worship happens in the street as you serve, as you pick up garbage, as you do whatever you do, as you go to the park, whatever project that is there, and there are 13 different projects for you to be able to go in and register for, and we need your help. Turn to your neighbor and say they need your help. Oh, come on. Turn to your neighbor and say, they need you to sign up. So today, when you, whether, whether, you, whether you miss the first five minutes of the sermon or not, no. Uh, <laughs> Jesse's preaching today, so I was waiting for him to, like, throw something at me. But he, he's, he, he's just so calm and godly, you know, he, you, never, you never see him sweat. Anyway, uh, no, seriously, we really would love for you to go in and sign up today. Pick an, acti- pick an event, pick one of those activities and sign up today. We need, desperately need you. Can I tell you the city of Salem needs us, and we'd love to be able to serve them in this way, and what an opportunity. We're not, we're not taking any extra time out of your schedule because every one of you schedules to come to church on Sunday, and we're just saying we're going to replace church with you going out into the streets and doing it, and so we want you to be there and be able to do that. Today uh, is quickly becoming one of my favorite communicators. Uh, before, we, before we brought him on staff, Jesse and I have had uh, a bromance. And, and uh, I, I've I followed him, watched him, listened to his sermons, and uh, I, I love Jesse Davis. I love Kendra Davis. I love this family. And uh, he is an anointed preacher, and today he's stepping in to preach love where you live. Would you welcome him? Come on, let's give him a round. 
Come on, can you give it up for Jesus one more time? I mean, well, hey, uh, my name's Jesse, and uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Relevant Life Church, and uh, uh, my mom was my youth pastor growing up at the church uh, I was in, and, and uh, my mom's watching online today from Freeze, Virginia, and mom, I just want to say I love you. Um, Thanks for giving your life away. She literally gave her life away every week to see other students, middle school and high school students, uh, come to know who Jesus was, and so that her own son would know who Jesus was. And so, uh, Mom, I honor you today. I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, I'm, I'm celebrating you today from afar. I love you. And I also want to thank uh, my wife, my gorgeous wife, Kendra. Um, thank you for being a mother to our son. Um, I, I've, I've entered into this three days a week becoming a stay-at-home dad. And uh, I, I'm quickly realizing that um, this is a full-time job. And, uh, and she, she made it look effortless. Um, and seamless, and I'm just like just hobbling along. So, uh, y'all pray for me. <clears throat> so, today we're continuing in our series titled Love Where You Live. Everybody say it with me Love Where You Live. Come on, love where you live. And uh, so not the physical house, not the, not, the, not the bungalow that you might find yourself in today, but the, but the, the, the place, the city that God has strategically placed you in, the street that he's placed you on, the people that he's put in your path. The series question that we've been asking you to consider is what would happen if each of us really began to love where we live? The theme verse for this series that we've been kind of going and gathering around every week is Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, Ju in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's been our prayer in this series that we would all experience a change in us personally by the scriptures, by the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of Jesus. And so that was the first phase. And the second phase was that we would see transformation in our home as we gather around the table and as we see our marriages grow stronger and are strengthened and our, and our family grow stronger together. The third phase, it was that we would see transformation in our circles at your job, on your school campus, the gym that you go to, the coffee shop that you go to, in your group of friends when you go to Costco, right? That was the third phase. And today we're kicking off our final city transformation phase. I love the energy, man. I mean, I was worried like before the first song, your love awakens me. Hey, Trent, I'm available for the worship team. I've said it before, bro, I'm just saying. Y'all too much. All right. In this series, we've been learning about the kind of lifestyle 
that Jesus is inviting us to live so that we can truly love where we live, that we actually together as a community are collaborating on how we can better serve and love one another in the city that we call home. The question that we're asking you to to consider as we launch this phase of our series is what would happen if you really loved your city? What would happen if you really loved your city? To really love where you live in your city, you must, you must live beyond yourself. Get uncomfortable by entering the messiness of people's lives and refuse to excuse yourself from loving people who are different than you, caring about people who are different than you. Pastor Allie mentioned last week that as God changes our heart, so changes the city of Salem. Would you say amen to that? And if you haven't listened to that powerful message um, made for Mondays, you need to go back and listen to it. It will, it, will, it will change you. It will allow a transformation to take place in your life, and it will increase your capacity to love where you live. I'm telling you that right now. Okay, so let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in, all right? Hey, Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity just to be here today, to draw breath, to be in your presence, to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. And so we, we ask this morning that we would see more of the majesty of Jesus this morning. Because I firmly believe that if we see Jesus this morning, that everything could change. Our lifestyle could change. Our thoughts and our decisions as we leave this place would change. And that would change our city. That would change our family. That would change us. And God, help us today by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, most of you have uh, met my son, Shepard. Raise your hand if you've met my son, uh, Shepard. Oh, mostly everybody. Right? Okay. So... Most of you met my son, Shepard, my baby boy. He's, uh, he's turning two next month, and uh, he's, uh, we've moved out of some of the uh, less favorable uh, word choices like no and, and stuff, but he's still on it. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. He's, he loves still saying no and stuff, but he's, he's even saying like, yes, and okay, daddy, okay, mommy, you know, and so it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time right now. We're entering potty training, so it's, a, it's fun, right, babe? Like, just, we're just like, yes, it's fun, it's fun, we love this, um, God help us. Um, he's so full of joy, though, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced interacting with him at all, but... He's so full of joy and so full of life, and he loves to say hi to people, uh, when, when, whether it's at church or literally anywhere that we go, whether at Costco, no matter where we're at, um, he loves saying, hi, hi. I mean, he, he says hi to everybody, hi, 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 hi. And, and uh, he, he loves his mama, praise God, he loves mama. Um, he loves his daddy, and he thanks Jesus every night before he goes 90. And uh, so he, he's, he's an incredible little boy. But he's getting to this age, y'all. I ain't going to lie to you. He's getting to this age where if you don't allow him to have something or do what he wants, he screams like a pterodactyl. <laughs> okay? Or, or, or he'll scream, no, while going dead weight, kicking his legs. Like, I, the whole, it's a thing. I didn't teach him that. 
My wife didn't teach him that. How does he know instinctually to, to do that? I mean, I would take you back to Genesis chapter 3, but I think you already know like, what's happening in this story. That praise God, he needs Jesus. But isn't that typically our gut response? When we don't get what we want, when we aren't allowed to have something that we are desiring, that we want so badly with everything that is within us, when we're denied something, when we cannot have something, when we do not reach the place in which we're desiring to reach, our response is me, 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 and how does this affect me? And, and we just don't usually say it out loud. How does this impact me, my future, my happiness, my life, my security? We're so good at thinking about ourselves. We are so good at it, we can think about ourselves without even thinking about ourselves. I mean, without even thinking about it, we're focused on ourselves. If we're honest, we're all prone to this self-centered way of living and thinking. I mean, we actually think living selfish, getting what we want, when we want it, is going to deliver this extraordinary feeling of infinity and euphoria. Ah, <laughs> oh, I've arrived. How'd you do it? I thought about me the whole time. <laughs> I was rude. I was crude. I was mean. I did it my way. <laughs> no, Jesus actually teaches that's not the path to life. That's not the pathway to the happiness, to the joy, to the peace, to the strength that you're desiring, that you need so desperately in your life to accomplish what Jesus has tasked you with in this life, in this city where you live. Go ahead and uh, get out your physical Bible with me. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Uh, we've been challenging you to not just, not just bring your physical Bible to church, but to bring it into every aspect of your life, to mark it up, to mark this thing up with notes, highlights, mark it up, write, write in it, pass it down for future generations, friends, family. Because people need this physical word. And just watch how it deepens your desire to pursue the word more. Well, if you have, I'm not anti-screen, by the way. Like if you have uh, the YouVersion Bible app, go with me there now to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm excited to share the scriptures with you. Uh, if you're new to this community, we believe the, the Bible is inspired by God. We believe that it's not simply a book made up of morals, concepts, principles, and, and keys to success, but it's a storybook. And the story is about the creator of heaven and earth who loves us. He's the standard of love. He's the definition of love. His love is unconditional, and his love is towards you and for you. And so every time we gather together as a community, we go to this book to understand more of his extraordinary love towards us and, and, the, and, and, and the exciting life that he's inviting us to live with him. So many times we try and live this life with Jesus on our own and we consult Jesus when we need him. 
But Jesus is inviting you to live this life with him. And when you do that, I truly believe that you'll begin to love where you live. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Uh, I'm going to read from my physical Bible as well. I know you won't be upset. Verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? An expert in the law 2,000 plus years ago wasn't a lawyer that we think of today. It was someone who was an expert in the Bible. He was someone with religious authority, and as is often the case, Jesus threw the question back at him. I mean, after all, he was an expert, right, Steve? I mean, what do the scriptures say about it? I mean, you know, right? Luke chapter 10, verses 26 through 27 go on to say, And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When the expert said, love your neighbor as yourself, he quoted Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, and kind of tied that in there. And, and so this was a law that they had, but there was more going on with this word neighbor than we might realize at first glance. According to this Jewish lawyer, he saw a neighbor as any other righteous Jew, so his family, the people that he did life with, right? So according to the best religious thinkers of the day, if somebody, if somebody did not share my faith, I have no obligation to love them as I love myself. If I don't consider someone else to be righteous, I have no obligation to love them as myself. The Greek word for neighbor, plesion, was defined as more than just a person who lives nearby. It was broader than that. The expert uh, recognized that the responsibility to love others was bigger than just the street he lived on. I mean, he realized that, and this is, this is the conversation that they're having. And from the beginning, God made it clear that... His intent was to bless the world, not just, not just the Jewish people. But the religious leaders and people understood this commandment to be an inwardly focused directive, a command to love their Jewish neighbors. And so, and so as a conquered people under the Roman government, most of the known population of the world would have fallen outside of their definition of neighbor. And before I read verse 28, I totally spaced, y'all. Y'all going to have to forgive the preacher this morning. He had an energy drink. Y'all forgive me. The title of this message is Love Your City As You Love Yourself. Love your city as yourself. So I'm just, you know, there you go. <laughs> You're like, what is this? Uh, I don't know what this is called. Like, what are you titling this talk, Pastor? Uh, verse 28. Verse 28 says, And he said to him, You have answered correctly, just do that, and you'll live. Yeah, so just, so just do that, and, and, uh, and you, you'll live. Jesus wasn't teaching that we earn salvation by loving our neighbor. He was emphasizing that loving our neighbor is a symptom of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Verse 29 goes on to say, But he... Just uh, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
Who is my neighbor? Deep down, he knew his definition of neighbor wasn't up to the standard that Jesus was suggesting. I mean, he recognized that the responsibility to love others was, was bigger than just his street. Bigger than just the street he lived on. Just the, bigger than just the neighborhood he found himself in. But the entire world. But, and so he, he's, he's, he's asking, exactly who do I need to love? Where can I draw the line, Jesus? Jesus then tells this radical story of total selflessness from a Samaritan helping a beaten Jewish man in order to paint a picture for the lawyer. So we, so we are so far removed from this culture and, and time, though, that it can be hard for us to see just how politically, religiously, and racially charged this story is. And in verse 30, he tells this story in reply to this conversation that this lawyer and Jesus just had. We doing good so far? All right, verse 30 says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. This story starts and you have a traveler What the lawyer doesn't realize is that the man who gets beaten is the lawyer. He's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and Jesus is describing what life on earth is like. So much of life feels like we're between here and there. So many of us are always trying to get there. How many of you ever gotten there only to realize that that there didn't deliver, so we got to invent a new there? It's so symbolic of life on earth. I'm always traveling from here to there, here to there, and sometimes in between here and there, I get hurt. And before you know it, this life beats you up. And the Bible says this man is half dead. It's so indicative of what the Bible teaches about the condition of mankind. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, which is to tell all of us that without Jesus, we're all half dead. Alive physically, but dead spiritually and internally. Luke chapter 10, verse 31 through 32 goes on to say, Now by chance, as fate would have it, don't you love Jesus? You know, know, by chance, a, a, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him. Passed by on the other side. So yeah, as fate would have it, uh, who comes by? A priest. Who comes by? A Levite. So indicative of what the Bible teaches about the law. The law are the rules of God and the standard of God. And the Bible says that every man, woman, boy, and girl has attempted to live up to the standard of God, but we all fall short. The Torah lists more than 600 perfect, flawless laws of God, and no one can fulfill them. What is Jesus telling us in this verse? He's saying the law comes by to help dying mankind, and it must pass by on the other side. The priest, the Levite, rules cannot help you when you're dying. And you need a Savior. 
Luke chapter 10, verses 33 through 34. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, went to him, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then comes a Samaritan, and the audience sucked air. <gasps> what? This, this Jesus guy, he's crazy. Because to the Jews, Samaritans were half-breeds, traitors, and religiously offensive. I mean, if they were going to travel, they would take a far longer route than touch Samaritan dirt or breathe Samaritan air. It was political. It was racial. It was religious. The Samaritans checked all their non-neighbor boxes. Samaritans were rejected by the Jews, and so it was said of Jesus that he came to his own, and they rejected him as the Messiah. Did you see it in the story? Jesus is the Samaritan who acts like this, who loves like this, except for Jesus. The Bible says the Samaritan moves towards the man. He should walk around the man. I mean, he, should, he actually has reason to walk around the man. He has reason to reject. But it says he moves towards him. He gets off his animal and he starts bandaging his wounds. No introductions, no exchange of details uh, or background or story of why. Which is exactly what Jesus does for us, church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Jesus and the, the righteousness of God. The gospel can be summed up into two words, friends. Became and become. Jesus became sin and shame so that we might become the righteousness of God. Be clear, Jesus never sinned, but he, be, he took on our sin and our shame so that we could become righteous. In reality, the Bible preaches that we've traded places with Jesus, that he took our sin, our shame, so that, he could, so that we could take his place of righteousness with the Father. Jesus, through this parable, is trying to tell the lawyer who he is. The lawyer wants to talk about rules. And Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of the rules. And I'm standing right in front of you. Luke chapter 10, verse 35 goes on to say, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And so in this verse, Jesus mentions that the Samaritan takes this man to an inn, and we're told a portion of the conversation that the Samaritan has with the innkeeper. Now, why would Jesus add details of what the Samaritan says to the innkeeper? I mean, what relevance does that have? Doesn't the story still deliver what it needs to deliver to the actual audience, which is specifically the lawyer? I wonder if these details are not so much for the lawyer, but I, I, I wonder if these details are for uh, someone else who might come along and read this story. Luke chapter 10, verses 36 through, 30, 36 through 37 says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who, yeah, <laughs> the one, you know, the, the guy, uh, 
You know Jesus. You know, you know, you know, you know who I'm talking about. You, you get me, bro. Like, you can't even say his name. Like, the, the one, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus looks at the lawyer at the end of the story and knows the question that Jesus asks. He, 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 he asks this man, who proved to be a neighbor? He totally turns the orientation. Did you see it? He said, who, who proved to be a neighbor? That wasn't the question, Jesus. He asked you to define a neighbor. Now you're responding with a question asking him, who proved to be a neighbor, man? What's Jesus challenging? He's challenging our approach to life. If I, could, if I could, I'd like to share with you three observations that I see in this story from the lawyer, the Samaritan, and the little end that can empower you and increase your capacity to love your city. The city's in dying, desperate need of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Amen. These observations ought to be true of our lives, and they ought to be true of Relevant Life Church. Yeah. If we have any hope to truly love the city that we live in so that we can love where we live like never before. First observation that I see in this story is that we have to live beyond ourselves. And like Pastor Ali mentioned last week, I mean, this takes time, this takes effort, this takes energy. You're actually gonna have to expend some energy and some effort. I mean, this is gonna cost you something. We will have to live beyond ourselves. Luke chapter, uh, in, in verse 29, Luke chapter 10, verse 29 says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, who is it really though? The lawyer says to Jesus, define neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Now, where is that perspective coming from? It's coming from the way the lawyer sees his life. The lawyer's thinking about who when he asks this question? Himself. The Bible uncovers for us his motivation. He sa it says he's seeking to justify who? Himself. Who's he good at thinking about? Himself. If you just keep living for yourself, it will never deliver the fulfillment and the joy that you are craving. But I wonder if we collectively and individually leaned into a lifestyle of living beyond ourselves and thinking about others oftentimes, even, beyond, even before ourselves, that we would experience more lasting joy and fulfillment that would result in lives changed in our city because of the Holy Spirit, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and it, in, instead of ourselves, we're full of the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. It's the paradoxical teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, that says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To find life, you have to lose it or let it go. That's one of the big ideas behind following Jesus, living like Jesus, talking like Jesus, that we trust Jesus as our hero and our model. Jesus is saying, I've come to completely change your orientation of lifestyle. Orientation means position or direction. Jesus has come to change our position. Instead of, what are you going to do for me? Hmm? What are you going to do for me? He's saying, take the position of a servant. How can I help? What can I do? How are you? You okay? Man, I've been thinking about you. 
Man, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your family. I've been praying for that job that you're, you're pursuing. I've been praying for healing and restoration in your body because I know you need it. I've been praying for that relationship. I've been praying for you. And not just say, I've been praying for you. But if you see that person, take time. Take care. Go to them. Pray for them there, right there. Because oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I forget. If I say, oh, I'm going to pray for you, brother. I'm going to pray for you, sister. And then the moment we step out of these doors, we're off to, like, the next thing. And we, we forget. I mean, we're human. We forget. Second observation that I see is that uh, from the uh, Samaritan is that we've got to get uncomfortable by loving and serving one another. We've got to get uncomfortable by serving one another. Verses 33 through 34 in the story says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion and went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The Samaritan was willing to get uncomfortable in the moment to bring help, hope, and healing to this man who otherwise wouldn't have had anything to do with him. For many of us, we've built very comfortable lives. We love our little corner of the world where we talk to all the people we like, not stepping out to help anyone. We do our thing, and we just love the coziness of the lives we've played out for ourselves. And yet Jesus seems to be inviting us by the imagery in these verses to a life that doesn't avoid people's pain and the messiness of those who occupy our city, but a life that has margin, a life where you run toward others' pain, a life where you bear one another's burdens, a life that will listen to someone who's hurting and be there for them when they need it, a life that isn't repulsed by pain, but sees pain as an opportunity to serve, to love, to care. And be there for one another. Oh, oh, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't walk by me. I'm sure glad that Jesus saw me when I was addicted, when I was broken, when I was hurting, when I was bleeding. And he pursued me. He had compassion on me. He got uncomfortable for me. He saw me and in Freeze, Virginia, of all places. I mean, really, of all places. Freeze, Virginia. I mean, no one even knows where it's at. He saw me in an otherwise place that you think no one ever got noticed me. No one, God doesn't know. God doesn't see me. Where, I mean, and he sees you, and he sees you laying on the road, no matter who you are, where you are. He sees you. Laying on the road, dying, broken, hurting, and he pursues you. He has compassion on you, and he says, I love you. I'm going to bring healing to your life. I'm going to bring restoration to your life. I'm going to bring wholeness to your life. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring peace to your life. I'm going to bring strength to your life. I'm going to bring a, an empowerment by my spirit that you will have never experienced before if you trust me, if you have faith, and if you give me your life, if you trust me. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were uncomfortable for God? When was the last time you were uncomfortable for God? Because when we serve and love others as we love ourselves, we're loving and putting God first in our lives. And you're loving your city as yourself. But serving can be uncomfortable at times. I get it. When we're uncomfortable, God is comfortable in our uncomfortableness. God is a God who seems to show up in our lives because we are uncomfortable. When we, but why? 
because we lean less on our own manufactured power, our own comfort, our own canned and boxed answers, and we become more dependent on the Holy Spirit and how he's able to move and do in our lives and the lives of others because he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's because when the Holy Spirit makes us uncomfortable, it's often to bring others comfort. Story after story in the Bible reminds us of how God positioned his people, made them uncomfortable only to position them. I mean, last week we learned that Joseph was made uncomfortable in a prison and repositioned to a throne by God. He made Esther prepare her heart and her attitude and her body to be queen only to liberate and oppress people. And if we'll lean into the Holy Spirit and his power in the midst of uncomfortable circumstances, he will do the same with you. God often makes us uncomfortable at work, in our health, in our families, in our finances, in our walk with Jesus. And as we do life in our city, because he's preparing us to position us to reveal his glory to those in our city who are far from Jesus. And to serve and to care for people that Jesus brings through our church doors. And by the way, if you're looking for an opportunity to get uncomfortable and serve your city, I'm going to plug this really quick. Uh, sign up for Outflow today. Uh, talk to Pastor Allie. If you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Talk to Pastor Allie. Get signed up for a project. Help serve this city. Get uncomfortable and love this city. Love where you live. Okay, sign up for Outflow today. The third observation that I see uh, in this story from this little inn, and I'm going to take the next couple of minutes, and we're going to end. It says, the third observation, refuse to excuse yourself from caring for others. Refuse to excuse yourself from caring for others. Verse 35, and it says, I want you to pay, look at this verse. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of them. Take care of them. And, and, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Sounds like somebody I know, right? Jesus promises that he's coming again. In my study of this story, I felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me that this inn, this inn that Jesus mentions in this parable is hinting at and portraying an image of what kind of community, what kind of church we are to be in this city. That Jesus may in fact be alluding to this space and place where broken, hurting, dying people can come and be taken care of. So Jesus mentions that the Samaritan brings this hurting man to this inn and tells the innkeeper to simply take care of him. Take care of him. Well, what's his deal? Take care of him. Well, what's his problem? Take care of him. Well, how do he get the wounds? Take care of him. What's his name, though? Take care of him. What's his nationality, though? Take care of him. Did he hurt somebody? Take care of him. But can we trust this guy? Did he do this to himself? What's his political views? Is he an addict? 
Is he homeless? Is he divorced? Does he struggle with mental health? Can you give me a little more detail, Jesus, before we just take this guy in and welcome him and disciple him and give him a hope and a future and a calling? God does all those things, but we are the one who stands in the gap and says, God, use me. I will take care of whoever you bring through those doors. I will take care of whoever you bring to this inn. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. And by the way, we are that person. You are that man laying on the road, dying bleeding, hurt and broken, needing Jesus. You are that man. You are that woman. You are him. You are her. Mark chapter 2 verse 17 says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not, not, not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and know they need a Savior. Who have you excused yourself from caring about? Who have you excused yourself from caring about? Who have you said, well, I don't have to care about them? It's amazing the people we give excuse not to care for, people that don't look like us, people that don't share the same worldview, people that don't share the same political view, people that don't share the same struggles we do. Isn't that funny? We all struggle. But if that's your struggle, then ugh, I, don't, I don't have to care. I don't have time to care about that. You see, we do this because we think we'll be happy thinking about ourselves. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 21 in the message says, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't? see. The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. I believe that the Holy Spirit's challenging us to be the kind of community that says no matter what I've been taught, no matter what I've been, no matter what has been institutionalized, no matter what my journey, my history, or my experience tells me, I refuse to excuse myself from caring for others who look different than I do. No matter who God places on my path, who walks through our church doors or who God brings into my life, I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna serve them. I'm gonna care for them. I felt the Holy Spirit telling me this when I, that, that, when, I felt the Holy Spirit telling me this, that if I bring them to your end, take care of them. If I bring them to Relevant Life Church, take care of them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring, I'm not gonna bring dying, hurting, broken people to an end that excuses themselves from caring for others who look different than them. So refuse to excuse yourself from caring for pe caring for people who look different than you. Would you stand with me this morning? I believe if we're gonna love this city. We're gonna to have to live beyond ourselves. And you can't do it without Jesus. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you can't do it without Jesus. You're gonna you're need him. You're gonna to have to talk to him. You're gonna to have to spend intimate, long periods of time with Jesus and learn how he does life, how he talks to people. 
And you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to, allow that. You're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to, to use you in, in the uncomfortable circumstances in life to reveal his glory. And you're going to have to care for people and love people that look different than you. That's what he's calling us to, church. I want us to take a moment this morning and just, would you write where you're at? Lift your hands, do whatever you need to do, but respond to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for you sending your son I'm thankful, for the, I'm thankful that you came and that you died for me, that you, can't, you, you saw me on that road dying, hurting and broken and bleeding out. And you came to my rescue. You saved me. You healed me. You, you set me on solid ground. You gave me a purpose. You gave me a hope. So would you take a moment and respond to Jesus this morning? Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. These are some of the most caring people you will ever meet. If you need help, if you need hope, if you need healing, I want to encourage you to respond and pray with these amazing prayer warriors. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you need Jesus. You've never accepted his free gift of salvation. You've never said, yes, Jesus, I'll give you my life. I want to follow you. I commit to, to following you, to loving you, and allowing your love to transform me. You don't have a relationship with him. You don't know him as Lord. Can I tell you that, that there's, there's literally no better day than today, and there's no better time than right now. And so... Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And our team would love the opportunity to pray that prayer with you, no matter what your need is this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we give you our week. We give you our Monday. We give you our Tuesday. We give you our lives, Jesus. We give you this city. God, help us by your spirit to love this city like never before. Help us to live beyond ourselves. Help us to get uncomfortable and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. Allow us to experience your love in such a way that we care and love for others who are different than we are. And we promise to give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless and God be with you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.